Hello, I'm Wayne Hiley. I'm the Managing Director and CEO of Peninsula Energy. Peninsula Energy is an advanced uh, uranium developer uh, with projects based in the United States. Uh, our Lance project is well positioned today uh, to be one of the first uh, of, the, of the uranium restarts um, that, that so many people are anticipating. Um, the Lance project today is fully licensed. It's um, very well staffed. We have the majority of our operating staff in place. We've spent the last several years uh, technically de-risking the Lance project as we our ambition is to transition it from uh, an alkaline-based in-situ recovery producer to a low pH uh, chemistry. Uh, and you know, today we've completed our technical de-risking uh, um, activities and, and the, the main focus really for us is uh, to complete some economic studies. Uh, we're, we're guiding to um, release uh, updated feasibility in, in the third quarter of this year. And then that'll pave the way for us to consider making a, a final investment decision on the restart of the Lance projects in uh, later in the second half of this year. Wayne, thank you so much for the introduction. Uh, a pleasure to meet you. Great to have you on the, uh, on the show, so to speak. Um, I'm a complete noob, noob. Uh, newbie when it comes to um, in-situ recovery, uranium uh, roll front geology. So you're going to have to be uh, gentle with me as I build my understanding on the project uh, in the next half an hour. Be happy to. Thanks, Merlin. It's a pleasure to be joining you today. I think if you could just for my benefit and perhaps for the viewers, just um, let's first of all talk a little bit about um, uranium roll front geology and kind of in-situ recovery. And then once we've done that, I've got a bunch of questions about the feasibility study and the, and the change in processing. But, but do you have a map, perhaps, that you could um, just kind of orientate me kind of within Wyoming? Certainly. Well, I, 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 I guess I don't have the Wyoming map um, immediately available, but let me um, share with you uh, a little bit on the... Uh, there we go. I can see... This is an image of the Lance Project. So, first of all, Merlin, uh, the Lance Project is uh, located in the northeast corner of the state of Wyoming, and it is a traditional um, uranium roll front geology uh, type, which is, which is so common with uh, the United States uh, uranium production centers and deposits. Roll front deposits are formed um, at chemical uh, boundaries where oxidizing water, which carries uranium, meets with um, chemically reducing um, soils or grounds underground. Uh, th this, is a, this is a great uh, uh, depiction of, of how a roll front uh, occurs. You have um, surface water or rain um, entering into a uh, uh, into the groundwater system and flowing downstream. Rain and, and fresh water is typically oxidized and oxidized uh, uh, water will carry soluble uranium in very low concentrations up until a point where it, it meets a, a chemically reducing boundary. And at that point, the water continues on, but it drops out the metals like uranium, which, which chemically precipitate uh, in, a, in a chemically reducing um, system. So what we have is large systems of groundwater carrying um, low concentrations of uranium until the point in which uh, uh, the uranium drops out and that becomes a concentrating uh, mechanism for, for uranium. 
over the eons, centuries, uh, a long, long time, millennium, the uranium concentrations get so, you know, to be rich enough that, um, you know, it becomes a uranium deposit. Uh, fundamentally, Merlin, just, you know, the uranium is obviously then precipitated uh, after the uh, formation has been formed. So what you get is a chemical precipitation on a sand grain or on a, on a uh, rock. Uh, so um, that it's uranium it's, is... It's, so it's a coating around a, um, a that's chart. Right. Or, <clears throat> okay. That's right. You create a coating on a sand grain, essentially, at, at these roll front boundaries. And that's, that's interesting because... You know, in situ recovery, then reverses the natural process. We take uh, chemical oxidants, uh, oxygen gas or, or hydrogen peroxide, and and we introduce it into the system, and we pass water across that front, resolubilize the uranium, and um, in the process, then uh, we recover the solubilized uranium. So so we have a injection well pattern. And a recovery well pattern, or recovery well patterns, and I'll, I'll try and pull up a little slide for you there. Um, here, you know, we have series of injection wells going across the host with the uranium ore body, and, yep. and as as that water crosses the ore body, it dissolves the uranium, and then we collect the water in recovery wells. So that's fundamentally how the in situ recovery process works. And, you know, to understand it as we're reversing a natural process of deposition um, chemically is, is a really um, fundamentally good understanding. Hey, thank you. I've, I've got two immediate questions. So the first question is that um, clearly your sandstone host is an aquifer because it's, it, um, fluids can flow through it. Um, and that roll front uh, that contact between the oxidized and the anaerobic, uh, the chemical precipitation front, they, they can be, um, they're essentially kind of linear features within a planar structure. Is that more or less correct? I mean, or tubular features or kind of cylindrical. That's right. You know, over the course of miles, you can have uh, great lengths of roll fronts, you know, in, in a regional groundwater system, you know, where, you know, you have, you know, similar uh, geology over a large region. Um, the groundwater is introduced at the surface and passes underground. And, you know, and, and yes, you have an aquifer where the, where the uranium deposition is. And one of the characteristics that's really required for successful in situ recovery is that aquifer continues to be permeable, that you're able to pump solutions across it. That was the uh, next question, because, because, of course, in an evolving aquifer, you can get chemical precipitation, you can get silting up of, um, so that you, your, your permeability and your, your porosity and permeabilities must actually be maintained through um, geological time. That's right, you know, and, and and formations that cement up, you know, they they may look like a roll front, and they and they may be a roll front, but they're not very good targets if they're cemented up. Uh, if you can't pump water across them, so and you know the the best in situ recovery uh, projects are are you know addressing a, a permeable host sandstone that has uh, the uranium roll front. Okay, and um, my quick. Um, Wikipedia googling of the Powder River Basin uh, tells me that there are 
two formations that are typically uh, or have historically been developed for economic uh, purposes in the Powder River. One is the Eocene, what's it called, the Wasatch Formation, and the other is the Paleocene Fort Union Formation. Uh, are you in one or, or either or both of those? Yeah, uh, we address the Wasatch Formation. I'm, I'm trying to decide if we have... We don't have a geological cross section, but, but actually, this this particular map, which shows um, you know the length of, of uh, roll front um, interpreted on our project area, really uh, here you have uh, you know a boundary uh, between the Fort Union and, and the Wasatch, and we're on the, we're, we're actually on the uh, Fort Union side. Excuse me, uh, you could see that on the map. Um, yeah. But uh, groundwater regionally here would be from east to west, the groundwater flow into the basin. Um, so all of these red lines, which you see on, on this particular map, are, are boundaries where, where oxidizing water has, has found chemically reducing conditions. So this is a redox boundary in, uh, map, and it's also really you know, the high target areas for where you find uranium mineralization. Uh, and um, sorry, ahead. just two questions. One is, um, is permeability uh, in your experience relatively consistent or uh, relatively variable along strike? And also inside the Lance project itself, there seems to be a clustering of those red lines. So could you perhaps explain that? Yeah, um, the clustering of the, the red lines is... is um, uh, due to um, depicting of multiple horizons with roll fronts. So, you know, uh, the, the graphics which I've shown you are simplistically, you know, one roll front and one horizon, but oftentimes you'll get stacked roll fronts over multiple horizons in the same area. And, and that's why you see a lot of, of, of various uh, roll fronts. The, the first question, I'm sorry. Well, it's variability on permeability, permeability yeah. variability along strike. You, you can have significant variability. And in, in our case, uh, you know, we, we see good permeability from north to south. And, and Marilyn, just, just for reference, you know, one of the things that makes the Lance project particularly interesting is its scale. Uh, you know, this project area is is about 25 miles um, north to south and yep. about five miles wide. Um, so, you know, this is a large scale project. Uh, the Lance project today, we've identified about uh, 53 million pounds of, of JORC compliant resource. Um, but, you know, the geological assessment of this area is that it has the potential for 150 to 200 million pounds of, of uranium resource. And, and clearly over the years, we haven't drilled out all of the north to south. They've drilled enough to identify that the roll fronts exist, the, the boundaries of the oxidi oxidizing to reducing condition boundaries exist, um, but there's a lot of infill drilling um, that's required to, to take a resource from inferred to, to measured and indicated. One of the things you mentioned right at the beginning was that um, it, to get the um, the uranium off, is, I presume it's uraninite. To get the uraninite off the sand grain, you use oxygen or hydrogen peroxide, and that's I think been the traditional method of doing it. But you also mentioned that you're 
Um, and I saw that the old feasibility study from 2018 was using a, what was it, a bicarbonate? Alkaline, um, alkaline conditions. Uh, al alkaline conditions. Um, and now you've switched to acidic. Can you explain that thought process? What, made, what was the change in thinking behind that? Absolutely. Well, fundamentally on uranium chemistry, um, uh, U plus four tetravalent uranium is, is insoluble. Okay. And U plus six hexavalent um, uranium is soluble. So oxidizing from plus four to plus six uh, puts the uranium in a, in a soluble state. Um, initially, the very low concentrations of uranium carried by the groundwater met our chemically reducing front and went from the plus four soluble to the plus six. Six. Yeah, yeah, got it. And, and so we need to introduce whether we're using alkaline chemistry or acidic chemistry, we need to introduce uh, or make sure that the solutions we introduce are oxidizing because yep. the first step is, is to oxidize the uranium back to uh, the soluble plus six. Uh, then, then the effectiveness of, of either alkaline chemistry or acidic chemistry is, is um, it comes into play. The acidic chemistry seemed, is more of a concentrated solution leach. Um, we, we form urinal sulfates. Uh, so the urinal ion um, is soluble and free in solution. And, and in order to prevent it from dropping back out on its journey from the injection well to the recovery well, we, we complex it. And we can complex it with a sulfate from a sulfuric acid or yeah. we could complex it with a bicarbonate from a, from an alkaline solution solution. You know, either way, the urinal ion is going to form a large complex that's then stable in solution. Uh, the advantage of, of um, uh, the, the low pH or, or acidic leach is that uh, it's it just much more effective on a broader spectrum of, of uranium mineralization. Uh, uraninite and coffinite are the most common uranium minerals formed in these roll front type deposits. Um, our formation is a little older um, than the typical um, uranium formation uh, or, or deposit in, in the Powder River Basin. And there's been some alteration of uranium mineral over, over time. So we found that um, we can capture a greater percentage of our uranium or dissolve a greater percentage of our uranium in the more aggressive um, acidic leach solutions than we could with the alkaline. So switching from alkaline leach solutions to, uh, to the lower pH or acidic solutions um, means that we can get a higher recovery rate from our uranium that's underground in a shorter amount of time. And that drives better economics. Um, I, I, again, in my Googling, Googling research for, for this call, I looked up some of the minerals in the Powder Ribbon Basin and I, my, my, my eye glossed over a kind of a, a suite of relatively complex names of minerals I've never heard of. Um, <laughs> but, um, but I guess that's, that's part of the alteration suite that you um, have established get recovered better with the acidic leach now um what was evident from um kind of history is that every operation in the powder river basin or in wyoming had operated on a on an alkali leach 
And that's presumably led you down that alkali route when you were doing the 2018 feasibility study. Actually, the 2018 was a low pH, but but the project, uh, the Lance project, you know, just to be you know clear on history, was developed as an alkaline um, chemistry, just like every other U.S. project. But it was it was developed and constructed and put into operations in 2015. So it's a very young um, operation. The it was it became clear in, during the you know the operations in 2016 and 2017 that that we weren't recovering recovering um, the full amount of uranium that we were seeing underground, and and that a change of chemistry would be desirable. Uh, while the United States in situ recovery industry focused on alkaline chemistry over the years, and you know I grew up in that um, around the world whether it be Australia, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Russia, China, other nations that um, practice in situ recovery, they all use the, the low pH or acidic chemistry um, because it is uh, uh, more effective in, in addressing the uranium mineral. Uh, and like I said earlier, you can dissolve- uh, A number of species. Uh, uh, yes, a, a greater percentage of your uranium minerals in, in, in a shorter time frame. Okay. So, um, so we at Peninsula took the decision to you know, drive um, the, the low pH uh, uh, chemistry at, at our site for, and, and be you know, the, really the industry leader in the United States with, with respect to that. Do, do you have any kind of um, buffering uh, gang minerals that are causing uh, neutralization of the acids or you know, talk me a little bit about kind of what the challenges have been and where the breakthroughs have come and the, the well spacing. Absolutely. A great question, Merlin. Um, you know, typically uh, we see carbonates, um, uh, carbonate minerals um, in the formation and, and carbonates uh, drive acid consumption. Um, you know, carbonates neutralize acid. So one of the features of the Lance project, which was which was uh, beneficial for us, but also um, you know really different, differentiating us from from the other Powder River Basin uh, deposits, was a relatively low level of carbonates in our ore. Um, you know, we can we can. Um, manage the acid consumption because of relatively low carbonates. Um, as a rule of thumb, if an ore body was less than 2% carbonate um, uh, mineral, uh, you, know, you could afford to do a low pH chemistry. Uh, getting above 2%, you're going to start driving some pretty high acid consumptions and you know, acid's going to become a, a very significant component of your costs. Um, in our case, uh, we were about one and a half percent carbonate or um, one to one and a half percent over the ore body, over the larger trends. And, uh, you know, it works for us. Uh, a lot of the deposits that I've worked at in the past in the United States are three, four percent um, carbonate minerals. And that's really what drove the U.S. industry to go to alkaline chemistry rather than uh, acidic chemistry. It was the high carbonates in our ores. And um, where do you get your acid from? Is there a kind of a uh, an acid market in the U.S.? Oh, there certainly is, and and there's regional production of of acid. Um, neighboring states, Utah and and such, 
um, you know, there's availability of acids for us. So, you know, we haven't gone to full commercial um, uh, production. So uh, we'll, we'll begin to test the acid markets in, in the near future. But, um, you know, there's availability from, from neighboring states um, that are producing um, acid. A lot of sulfur uh, byproducts from oil and gas productions and yeah. You know, and, and the Western yeah. states, Wyoming included, is a, is a significant oil and gas producer. Silly me. I, you know, as, as I asked the question, I, I, I realized I had the answer available to me um, if the neurons were working. Um, but I guess that number will come out uh, in the feasibility study. You'll have a kind of a cost for the acid and uh, um, that'll be fleshed out in the feasibility study. Yeah. And um, so look, in, in our 2018 low pH feasibility study, you know, we've been looking at this for, for quite some time now, but you know, we took the assumption that um, the United States uh, acid markets, there's going to be more uh, consumption than there is production. And that, and that um, you know, the United States is a net importer of sulfuric acid. So for our feasibility study, we actually took the cost of sulfuric acid from the Gulf Coast and shipped it up to us. Uh, as a base, a cost basis. That meant that you know we were being very conservative as as to what the you know the total cost might be for us, since there is acid available in our neighboring states. Transportation and pricing, you know, being a lot less probably. But uh, you know, all in all, you know, we take a pretty conservative approach to our acid con- uh, cost uh, modeling. Oh yes, the the what are the key changes from the 2018 feasibility study to the one. Um, you know, is, is it well spacing? Sorry, it was my bad for uh, not picking up that it was a low pH study in 2018. So what are the critical changes that you've remodeled and reworked for this, for this well, iteration? You know, since 2018, we've continued um, to put a lot of time and effort into technically de-risking this project. You know, first, we ran a um, field leach trial, which allowed us to, you know, in the field at, at a field scale, um, drive the pH, you know, from its baseline condition down to where we need to be for operating. So we were able to get a good uh, view of um, chemical or reagent consumption on the on the field demonstration. And then um, in that field leach trial, we also uh, increased the pH back up so that we could do groundwater restoration activities at a at a higher pH, but demonstrate our capabilities of of successfully uh, completing groundwater restoration. Um, after the field leach trial, uh, we decided to uh, do a, a second field demonstration with some ideas and some learnings from the field leach trial. And we took a, a, a area that had not been previously mined. So we had a virgin ore uh, situation and, and we again ran the field demonstration uh, for about 18 months. Um, from, from the middle of 2020 to the end of 2021. Um, again, we, we gained uh, field knowledge of a complete recovery curve. Uh, we, we got field experience with pattern spacing, um, which, which you brought up, but is very important. You know, the distance between the injection wells and the recovery wells and how you put your injection well patterns geographically over the ore body you know that it's the it's the geography of the pattern more than than just the spacing so we learned a lot about that and we'll be able to apply all of the learnings you know the 2018 um uh feasibility model was based on laboratory results 
the 2022 feasibility report will be based on field results. And when you talk about the, the, the geography of the those um, recovery wells and injection wells, is that based on the kind of the irregular shape of the of the field or the ore body? It is. It is. And and you know sometimes you know broad sweeping patterns that go over areas that are non-mineralized are okay. Uh, sometimes you really have to be very precise in your targeting of the mineralization. Uh, I think with the with the um, low pH, we've we've learned that, and we want to be very precise with our with our pattern designs. And rather than using you know large uh, five spot or hexagonal patterns, a five spot would be like uh, um, the the number five on a dice. Um, yeah, you have. Yeah. Four, you have four, four corner injectors surrounding a, a central um, uh, recovery well. That would be a five spot. Um, you know, we're finding that you know, crossing the patterns with what we call staggered line drives, where you know where we inject over, across the pattern and back and forth across the pattern, is a more efficient way to. Um, to address our ore body, uh, you know, with it's a more efficient use of, of wells, and it also ends up with a with a more efficient um, uh, chemical uh, consumption profile. Thank you. And um, have you published kind of any recovery data? I, I don't want to kind of uh, trigger a news release, but um, in your news releases, have you kind of talked about ongoing recovery rates? And what's your at Lance? What's your median? Uh, or average um, grade. I, I, I saw that it was between kind of 500 and 2,500 ppm, but um, no, I, our average grade is down on the on the lower end towards the 500 uh, parts per million in the ore grade. Um, yeah. and and uh, you know ore grade is important um, and particularly important in conventional mining. Um, in, in in situ recovery, it's much more forgiving. Um, you know, you can, one of the advantages of in-situ recovery is that you can address much lower grade ore bodies because you're not physically removing ore. Um, you know, you're not, you're not digging it up. You're not transporting it to a mill. You're, you're just using patterns of wells to address the ore body. So um, in-situ recovery is typically done on a much lower grade ore and, and yields very good economics on lower grade ores. So I'm not sure if I hit the question, um, I, I know that recoveries in in these things declines over time, and that once you've leached a certain proportion, then it's harder to get the remaining, you know, recovery on the lower proportion or lower grade. But um, oh yeah, so so what, what, I'm what, sorry. What, what, yeah, what, you what are your about, about what yield curves really? What our overall recovery might be, and you know, there are some inherent inefficiencies with with sweeping across ore bodies. Um, Typically uh, in the alkaline, um, you know, we were expecting as much as 70% recovery of the uranium um, using the alkaline. And we were hitting closer to 50%, which was why we looked at different chemistries. Uh, yeah. with, with the um, uh, acidic chemistry or the low pH chemistry, uh, we were successful in the laboratory of hitting 95 to, you know, 99% recovery of the uranium mineralization and, you know, with laboratory leach tests. And that's translated very well in the field as well. Um, there's still inefficiencies, but, 
you know, as a whole, we'll, we'll look at somewhere between 80 and 90% recovery rather than the, the lower mark that we were seeing with the alkaline chemistry. Great. And presumably, they, once you've recovered your capital, um, you can keep leaching the remaining bit as long as the recovered uranium is um, less than your reagent costs. That's right. You know, the process itself is very um, inexpensive. You know, when you're just when you're circulating uh, solutions that are down in the in the low pH range, and and all your all your costs are are primarily labor and electricity. Um, you know, I've I've operated facilities with less than 10, per, uh, 10 parts per million of, of uranium returns in the production solutions, and and had incremental break even or or better, you know, costs. So you. Your ability in, in these facilities to run at very low solution grades is, is only limited by your plant's capacity. You know, if, if you're trying to produce uranium at a million or two million pound per year rate, you have to maintain a reasonably good solution grade. So, you know, ultimate recovery versus um, economics is, is a question of, of, you know, ongoing production rates. You replace well fields when they reach a you know 20 part per million grade or something like that yeah. and you run you run an average grade of 50 60 70 ppm into your into your facility so you always have some fresh new well fields and some older well fields bringing the average you know to a midpoint that you know generates you know your million or or whatever um, target uh, pounds per year that you're trying to produce. And um, from the old feasibility study, the, the phase one kind of million and a half pounds a year had a tiny capex up front, you know, $5 million. Let's let's say it doubles to 10 million. Is, is that still kind of the plan to go for a million and a half as your, as your well, sort of starting point? Today's uranium market is incentivizing higher production rates. I'll, I'll, I'll put that right up front. Um, so we're considering um, ramping our project up to a higher production rate, you know, very quickly in in our uh, revised feasibility study. That's one of the options that we might come out with. Uh, the plant today is built for that 1.1 million pound per year production rate. So, you know, anything above 1.1 million pounds per year will require some more upfront capital. Uh, but the beauty of of Lance today is is as you pointed out extremely low capital to transition our facility from alkaline to low pH. Um, the facility was built in 2015. It's a modern facility that doesn't have any, you know, old parts and pieces that need to be replaced. We just had to transition wetted parts that, you know, to make sure that they're compatible with the low pH solutions, um, not just the alkaline solutions, because there's you know corrosivity differences in those solutions. Um, so, and because it's not much of an investment, it's also a very rapid time frame. Uh, our 2018 feasibility study indicated that you know we were around six million dollars in six months from an investment decision back into production as low pH. So we sit with a modern facility that has a very low capital requirement and a very short time frame to put the project back into production. So um, feasibility study later this year, production next year? Quite possibly. I can't commit to that because that decision <laughs> hasn't been made, but but our, we're on track to release a feasibility study in the third quarter of this year. And, and no red flags suggesting that that won't be the case, nothing 
nothing spooking you as a technical with a technical head on? Well, no, because uh, you know we've spent the last three four years technically de-risking, and and yeah. the, you know, the point of of the updating the feasibility study is to take all of the learnings you know, that we've invested in in the last several years and put them into a new study. Uh, you know, an update. So, I mean, the hardest thing for the industry right now is, as for pretty much any industry, is is facing the inflationary pressures that we see in the markets and the supply chain disruptions that we see in the markets. Um, you know, these are very real. Um, you know, the cost of sulfuric acid is is up quite a bit from yeah. you know, uh, but we used a very high high starting point. You know, in our 2018 feasibility study, so. We feel a little bit protected from that impact in, in going forward. Uh, and it's not going to last forever. You know, sulfuric acid isn't going to always be at a high price or a high point, you know, like it is today. So we have to use some good judgments in our feasibility study assessments. But, you know, a lot of the supplies and consumables that, that you know, go into a successful in-situ recovery uh, project are today in tight demand. So, um, you know, a lot of advanced planning. A lot of thoughtfulness will go into the feasibility study. Again, it's useful having a very low um, capex, um, and I guess the kind of the, the key variable, as you've discussed, is the is the other variables, the the variable cost elements, which are the kind of reagents like acid. What's your uranium price forecast? I mean, sorry, not not your forecast, but what are you going to be using in your feasibility study? It hasn't been decided yet. I mean, there's, you know, the the price of uranium has been um, very dynamic in in um, recent months um you know we've we've seen the price now the spot price reaching 60 dollars a pound i can tell you when we did the 2018 feasibility study that our long-term price for uranium was 50 dollars. so today the price of uranium is over what our 2018 feasibility study mark was um you know clearly we have justification for using higher pricing in in our model so npv and irr are going to be you know reflective of of better uranium markets that we see, um, you know, in the days ahead. Uh, so this is, this is a good time. Uh, I'll tell you, you know, with inflationary pressures, with the changing in uranium price, uranium, uranium has been outpacing inflation. That's good for uranium producers. And, uh, uh, you know, anybody who hasn't updated their feasibility study since, um, you know, the middle of 2021, you know, really probably should sit down and do so because um, the world has been changing very quickly. Well, um, Wayne, thank you very much. I've, I've learned so much about um, ISR and uh, roll front uranium in a very short space of time. Uh, I've learned a lot about uh, the Lance project and um, I look forward to seeing how the, the, the company reports over the next six months and I look forward to that feasibility study. Well, thanks, uh, Merlin. You know, we have a very transformational uh, 12 months ahead of us with, you know, with, with the launching of the project economics and, and you know, that all really is, is leading up to that final investment decision to put the project back into production. Uh, we think we could be, you know, one of the leaders in the U.S. industry with some of the earliest production. Um, and today we have drill rigs on the site. We're doing a lot of pre-productional activity. You know, Peninsula is very serious about the business we're in. Um, we are you know, really a production uh, geared company, oriented company, but we've spent the last several years where the uranium markets weren't so good. 
um, redeveloping our project and, and, and refining it to improve its performance um, moving into the future. Great. Well, thank you very much. And uh, I look forward to uh, hearing more from you in due course. My pleasure. Thank you.